0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aliyah, and my greatest flaw is I always get USB plugs in right the first time, and people hate me for it.
1: I'm Kristen, and my greatest flaw is that I will react to audiobooks or podcasts that I'm listening to in very public places.
2: I'm Cameron, and my greatest flaw is definitely my allergy to cedar. <laughs>
1: I'm Caitlin, and
3: my greatest flaw is how easy it is to make me cry. Like, I'll be watching a movie. Like, just a little while ago, I was in cardio cinema, and it was some stupid movie. And then the little girl went out into the ocean and was finding her best. I just will start bawling. And it doesn't take, it takes like a commercial. That's it. I'm very easily emotionally manipulated. Um, And I'm Misa Sugiyura. And my greatest flaw, uh,
4: according to my family, is that I always think I'm right. And I'll make up stuff to prove that I'm right, even. <laughs> hey, if you can pull it off.
1: That's true. Yeah, maybe you
0: always are right.
1: <laughs> Pretty good.
0: Okay, a big welcome to our special guest, Misa Sugira, author of It's Not Like It's a Secret, and This Time Will Be Different. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Misa. Can you tell us a bit about your books? Uh, yeah,
4: sure. Thanks for having me on, also, by the way. Um, yeah, I have two novels out. Uh, and the first one is called It's Not Like It's a Secret, and it is about a girl named Sana, who is kind of struggling to come to terms with her sexuality, because she's a lesbian, and also her ethnicity. And um, she's moves from the Midwest, where sort of all of that's difficult for her, to California, where... She suddenly starts coming into her own and she makes Asian friends and she falls in love with uh, a Latinx girl, and everything seems to be going swimmingly until she starts running into problems about who to tell about herself. and she begins to have trust issues with the girlfriend and trust issues with her father and and uh, her one of her big flaws is that she um, she tends to sit on her feelings and try to endure things instead of talking about them and changing things and being honest. And that gets her into a lot of trouble. And my other book is called This Time Will Be Different. And it is about a girl named CJ who lives in the Silicon Valley. And um, she has... Her mom is this sort of stereotypical Asian American overachiever who's working for a big venture capitalist firm. And CJ herself has always been kind of an underachiever and she worries that she's disappointing her mom. And the only place that she feels comfortable is at this sort of side business that her aunt runs, which is a family run uh, flower shop that that may or may not be sort of magically able to choose just the right flowers to make people's hearts' desires come true. It's been in the family for generations, except for a few years when it, it fell into the hands of a, an unscrupulous white farmer who bought it for pennies on the dollar from the family during the Japanese-American internment. And they had to work and work and work for years to buy it back. Um, so the mom wants to resell it to this same family who is now very successful. And the mom wants to leave the past behind and just move forward and C.J is having a hard time letting go of the past, which is one of her flaws. She tends to um, she makes judgments about people and but based on things they've done in the past, based on ways that they've hurt her in the past, and she has a really hard time letting go of those those harms that they've done her and moving forward. That's it.
0: Awesome. Well, that's a a fantastic starting point for today's discussion, because we would like to talk about creating flawed characters today. And it sounds like uh, you really know how it's done. So what counts as a character flaw?
4: Well, (laughs) well, so I I see it as um, like in books and movies, right? It's either a personality trait, or it could be a belief, you know, like a mistaken core value or belief that that holds the character back and kind of keeps them in this sort of immature or undeveloped state and, and keeps them from being successful or being happy in the end, and it's something that they have to overcome. That's, you know, that's not the story problem, and it's, yeah, it's the internal obstacle.
3: Kristen put some good things in the outline about this, but I feel like character flaws, going off of what you just said, They are often things that we can identify with in a character. So I sometimes feel like they're the thing that make us the most angry about characters, but also the thing that makes us feel like they're human. And so I feel like character flaws are really important for a character's arc and helping us to
1: both identify with and... Go ahead, Kristen. So I guess when I was thinking about it, I just thought that... A character flaw is some sort of imperfection or limitation or a bias that affects your character and usually gets in their way, like what Misa was saying. I find it particularly interesting when these sort of traits are are tied to a character's strength. Like, I'm thinking particularly of Harry Potter. So one of some of the really good things about him is that he's, like, loyal and he's really fierce about his friendships and he has a good heart and he wants to help people. But he has a saving people thing. He has a hero complex. He takes it too far and it gets people in trouble. Spoiler alert, it ends up kind of being the reason Sirius dies. And if you haven't read that by now, I'm really sorry for you. <laughs> it's been
3: out for a very long time. I think we're good.
1: I'm the worst. I'm, that's my character. Fly, I expect everyone to be able to read as fast as I do. 25 years. I don't know. It's been a long time. 25 years. <laughs> that, that's an exaggeration. But... But I guess uh, just a way of looking at it for me is if I can think of something a character is really good at, if I can see a competency, it's really nice to think, oh, how can this also get in their way and use that as a way to form or or view their flaws?
3: Before we started talking, I don't remember who it was who was saying this, but they observed that... Character flaws have different endings or different consequences depending on what kind of genre you write. Mm-hmm. Misa, you write contemporary books, and all of us are more in the sci-fi fantasy camp. And so, I think that character flaws can be taken to different extremes based on what kind of genre you write. Like if you're going with the the name of the wind, both destroying like whole worlds because he's angry <laughs> type of thing, it's slightly different than if you're talking about. About making snap judgments about people and making it difficult for you to have normal relationships with people, and so, but they're both really important. And I think it was Cameron who said, "See, I'm taking all of the good things you guys said before we started. (laughs) I'm I'm stealing them as my own." Well, sometimes
1: get to hear it.
3: (laughs) That sometimes it's those character flaws that allow a story to feel real, even if you're setting it in a fantastical setting. So,
2: well, and I think. In, in either case, regardless of where the book is set, or I'm going to be bold and say regardless of the genre, the best character flaws are the ones that have something directly to do with the plot that's going on, whether the plot is literally the death of all life in a galaxy or does he like me or not. If the flaw has something to do with the big what's going to happen, then it's going to be more interesting and more dramatic.
0: Yeah. So I feel like we've covered then why we want our characters to be flawed. Um, but perhaps if we can dig a little deeper, how can flawed characters still be sympathetic, or how can you use character flaws to create a story?
4: Yeah, you know, I think that nobody—well, nobody—I was going to say nobody likes perfect people, but we always go around saying, "Oh, she's perfect. I love her." So, <laughs> uh, but I think I think a flawed character is almost by definition lovable although there's a lot of unlikable characters i guess because of their flaws so maybe yeah. maybe uh, a flawed character becomes more relatable right because um i think caitlin said this earlier and Kristen too like the you can be like you you get a chance to say well like i love the feeling of watching a book or reading a movie and seeing the character screw up and just thinking to myself like no don't don't do that and um you know even as i totally understand their motivation because i get you know like everybody has a little you know understands the flaw most people's flaws right um so it's like living vicariously you know you um just i the character like one of my favorite characters in movies is um in bridesmaids i forget the character that Kristen Wiig, Wiig. That is how you say her name. Uh-huh. Plays, you know, and I, um, she's just, I just, she's, she's, she just doesn't get it for so long, and she, you know, and she has that tantrum at her, at the, at the, um, baby shower. It's, you know, it's like you watch them do the things that you, you wish you could do, but you have more <laughs> control over that particular flaw than the character does.
3: <laughs> Well, and I also think that flaws, they create the character arc that we're going for. I mean, not always. Sometimes you see a character that needs to grow in a really big way because they're put in a position that they then have to grow into. But a lot of times character flaws, they 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 shape your story because they give your character a starting point and then an obvious end point that your your reader wants them to get to. It's like an um, an example I can think of is House, the TV show, which I just – I had to stop watching because I couldn't get past it. Have any of you guys watched
1: House? I've seen episodes, yeah. Oh, my goodness.
3: Like, I... This is a very, very flawed character. Like, extremely I-cannot-sympathize-with-him character (laughs) that they kind of offset... They offset the the awfulness of him with his competency, and that's why anybody deals with him. But eventually, for me, I just had to stop watching him. Like, I can't watch him destroy any more people or any more relationships, and I just can't anymore. So for me, it, it passed the threshold of too much flaw, and I hope that at the end of that series, he, like, made some kind of emotional growth. I don't know. Did you watch him? Did he turn out okay? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, you didn't. Oh, I thought you said you had.
2: Maybe a takeaway is that some flaws are definitely easier to make sympathetic than others. One that's more self-destructive than hurting people around you is usually it's easier to like someone who has that kind of a problem than someone who's going around ruining other people's lives. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You don't, know you don't think so?
3: <laughs> I think it depends on on what extreme it is taken to. Like with House, for example, you have him... Destroying his relationships with other people because he is um, narcissistic and is addicted to Vicodin. So you have both of those things that are working both for him because it forces him into a place where he, like, cures people in miraculous ways and no other doctor could do it because of dot, dot, dot. But watching it happen is, like, painful because he just destroys people their emotions, and himself. Anyway, but, I mean, on the flip side, a- an amusing one is, like, I'm sorry I'm using all TV show examples, like Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec. Like, she is not a perfect character. She is very, very uh, motivated to do things and then, like, rolls over people in order to get stuff done. But it's cute the way it happens with her because we're all on her side and we want her to do cool stuff. So I, I think it's offset
0: sometimes. Well, I think but. you're highlighting a- an interesting point there that with House... One of the things that bugged you was his his um, static status, how it, how he didn't change. And I think when I read a book or watch a movie and the characters' flaws, even if the flaws are pretty egregious, I can still identify with them as long as I see they're trying to make some effort to change or they have mm-hmm. some, you know, understanding that their flaws are hurting other people.
3: I think that you're right about that, actually. That was the hardest part, because they kept teasing him, like, getting a little better. And then you'd be like, oh, nope, nope, he's not. And then they would tease it again. And then you'd be like, nope, he's he's worse now. Like, I don't
4: know. I th- Yeah, I think, I yeah, you make a good point, um, Aaliyah, that about the, yeah, this, this sense of maybe they're getting better. And also maybe just balancing out that flaw with some positive characteristics or you know you, they have to be like not you know it's a whole likable relatable thing but um, I don't know if House ever demonstrated that it was making him sad to be so isolated or you know what I mean some great flawed characters that made it's, it's TV again but like um, like Schitt's Creek and The Good <laughs> yeah. Place are you know everybody has
0: huge
3: they're
4: they're terrible people
0: <laughs> Eleanor is like.
3: The worst ever. But I love her. <laughs> um, but but there's that progress happening with all of those. Characters. And you can tell
4: that they're trying, right, is, mm-hmm. is the thing. Um, like Emma, in, if we're talking about books, there's a good one where mm-hmm. she's clearly has just the wrong idea about people and, and about life. And it's gets her into all kinds of trouble and hurts people. And she finally figures it out.
3: So I wanted to go back to something you said at the beginning, Nisa, where you said perfect people – Like, we love perfect people, but we don't actually like them. I think that the thing is is that perfect people aren't very interesting because if there's nowhere for someone to go, they already have everything under control, then you kind of, like, don't have a plot necessarily. Or you have, like, a Superman plot where you're like, well, of course Superman's going to win. He's perfect. And so unless you throw something in to make it so he won't use all of his special abilities to just fix everything. Um, If if you have a perfect character who knows exactly how to deal with things, then there is no growth. And so it's not very interesting. So on both sides, if you don't see any growth, it's boring. But also, I mean, if you don't see any growth in a terrible character, you don't like them, or you don't relate to them or aren't interested in them. And on the perfect side, I think that they're not a very interesting character if if they don't have anywhere to go.
0: So how can you exploit flaws to take your story where you want it to go?
1: Well, I wonder if it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Like, because... I can think that maybe a character's flaws come first, and you craft a plot around their flaws, or you have a plot that you, all, that you just stick your character in and you find a way to, to use it. So I'm not sure if it's necessarily one way or the other.
4: Because I write contemporary sort of character-driven stories, actually, I think about it as the, I, I often come up with the flaw first. Um, and that, for me, is the flaw that drives the plot. Because, yeah, I just think to myself, what's the, you know, the, you know, like uh, if a, per- a person in this situation with this flaw, like what's what's the thing that's going to happen to make to challenge her or him, and 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 uh, make that person run up against the limitations that that flaw is putting on their life.
2: Maybe maybe put another way is that we talk a lot on here about how your characters have to want something and there has to be a reason that they can't have it. And usually for it to be believable that they can't have this thing that they want, there has to be some kind of a flaw. There has to be something wrong with them or their circumstance or something that is going to prevent them from just, you know, taking what they want and keeping it.
1: I really like what you said, Mesa, about like taking a flaw and kind of stretching and crafting a plot so that flaw has to reach its like breaking point. I think that makes for the most interesting and cohesive feeling books where the internal um, arc really matches the external arc in that sort of way, where where they seem to be going together rather than kind of pulling to in two separate directions. Do you have any tips for authors about how to go about doing that? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh...
4: <laughs> I, it's so funny because I get stuck so often writing. So I feel um, so much of my work happens in revision. When someone says, you know, when I have a great editor who says, "This is how you do it," so uh, um, you know, I. So I don't know. Like for, I think it's just about being patient and and really examining. You know, if you're if you're writing a character-driven contemporary novel, anyway, giving yourself time to think of what it is so like you know my my i had this character who i i wanted to explore the question of what like what we can forgive like what's forgivable what's unforgivable like when when is it how do we get over the wrongs that have been done to us and so um yeah maybe yeah so this particular my second book i started with that question and so that's why i gave my character the flaw of not being able to get over those Mm -hmm. um past harms and then I just thought to myself like what's what are things that could happen that she would not be able to forgive you know I knew she was going to have a a lesbian like best friend so what's the worst thing that could have happened to that friend that that this you know that, that CJ would be would never be able to forgive and and that readers would have a hard time forgiving and same thing what's the worst thing that someone could do to her or to her family and From there. But it took a while to figure out what those worst things were. It took a couple of months. So I don't know. I guess my main advice is be patient.
1: (laughs) That's really important advice in general writing (laughs) in the writing universe. Okay. We're about out of
0: time for this portion of the podcast. Does anyone have any final comments before we go on to the critique half? Awesome. Then we'll move on to the portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. A quick review, we try to be non-prescriptive, and if you'd like to check out the text of the submission and see all our notes, check on our website, com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, a summary of this week's submission. An artistic teenager from a broken home argues with her best friend over whether she should stay close to her mom or try something more prestigious in life while setting up for a school dance what are some things that we liked?
1: I loved the voice on this submission. I, I thought the the writing was so clean, and we have this main character who has this kind of snarky sense of humor that starts in the first line, and it it just goes through the whole submission. I thought it was extremely, there were a lot of really cool promises made, um, and I really liked Alcott's relationship with her best friend. It felt snappy and real to me.
4: Yeah, I agree. The voice was the first thing I wrote down. Like, she totally nailed it. Or he, as (laughs) an author. Um, And it's it's confident, it's funny, it's observant.
1: I want to read the first line because I particularly liked that one. Um, But it's, I'm standing on the tallest rung of a very high ladder, stringing twinkle lights through a basketball hoop in a gym that's decorated to look like the Parisian skyline, but smells like microwaved jockstrap, which I just immediately gives you a sense of place and a whole lot of sensory details i probably didn't want
2: (laughs) thank you for the triggered gag reflex
1: (laughs) and the contrast is lovely and the
3: voice is lovely Mm -hmm. it just it promises so much about what to expect from this book i love it just
4: this parisian skyline is so like everybody has been to a school dance where the theme (laughs) was
0: paris (laughs) amen Um, I was going to say there are not a lot of nice um, character development drops. One I liked, for instance, is when um, she mentions that she is decorating the dance because she is one of the only ones who is not attending the dance. So she has time. I thought that said a lot about her situation in the school and kind of
3: what her night is going to be like. Well, and she seems quite dismissive of the whole thing, too. I mean, and also, well, I'm not sure that we're quite there, but we got a whole lot of character development going on and, like, the beginnings of the conflict where we have her and her best friend, her best friend who is really, really super... um Um, She wants to go to Harvard and wants to do a whole lot with her life and she's already judging her friend because she wants to stay home because of her mother. And so we already see the conflict forming between her and her friend and also potentially between her and her mother. So I I love that we already have the beginnings of what this story is going to be about right on those first couple
0: of pages.
4: Yeah, I feel like it does everything those first pages are supposed to do, right? It sets up (laughs) the two main characters and their relationship just in a few quick strokes and... You know, like we know that Elise is a good friend, like she's not going to break their longstanding tradition just for, a, you know, like for a boy. Mm -hmm. She's loyal. She cares about uh, Alcott's well, you know, her, her future, even if she's a little bit judgmental, you know, and yeah. And then that whole setup of that. So that little interpersonal issue and then the larger problems, like the questions that come up, you know, like Caitlin, you talked about the promises about, you know, like, so we're asking, what's going on with the dad? Why did they split up? Like, why is Mm -hmm. she so protective of her mom? And, you know, she's clearly really smart. Why can't she, you know, what's keeping her back? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I love all those questions. Bang, 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 bang right there. Oh, and then the Korean adoptee issue too is sort of dropped right in there. And we know that's going to be an issue at some point or maybe not, but um, yeah, it's so, so
0: concise um if we're good to move on what are some things that maybe could use a second look i feel
4: like there's not a ton
1: (laughs) (laughs) i have a really small prescriptive comment about the first sentence which i feel justified in giving because i too am a comma lover But I did feel like there were a lot of commas going on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're already to commas. (laughs) Really? really, This was so clean. The first thing I wrote down, I was like, man, give me the first 50 pages. If, like, I would have read on from where we're at. Um, Yeah. I I did actually have one thing. So when Elise and Al are, are having this conversation at the beginning... They used the term snogging and as soon as they used that I wondered, oh, are we in the UK? And so I had a temporary like sense of place weirdness happening there. I, it's pretty I clear in the UK
2: cuz she's on the soccer team.
1: Well, exactly. That's true. And oh, and good point. and they said that Yale or and, or New York wouldn't be very far from like where their family is. So, I put it together eventually that they were just being silly, but that did raise my eyebrows a little. I was like, "Oh, okay, we're not in the U.S., but I'm pretty sure we are, in fact, in the U.S." Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I mean, I feel like if I'm going to be super prescriptive, if you want to keep the word "snogging," it'd be really easy to be like, and she said it in a funny British accent, and yeah, exactly, laughter or something like that. But yeah, I had that same problem. I had a couple
4: of let's see. Oh, you know, I had a I had a super question cool. about um, Elise who seems obsessed with Alcott's like whether or not she's going like she's, she sort of teases her for not having a boyfriend or not ever having going out with boys. And so it was just a, you know, maybe that'll be different later on, but for me, tone, I don't know if it's a tone thing, but I thought, okay, this girl is hyper ambitious, right? She's looking at Harvard and Yale and first chair violinist and all this stuff. um, But like, would such a girl, like, why does she value having a boyfriend so much? I I, I don't know. It, like, just from the people, she's, I, I just feel like she seems like, it, for me, it just clashed a little bit. Like, why do you care so much about boys? Why, uh, if your main concern really seems to be uh, career and worldly success and that kind of thing.
1: Maybe, yeah. Well, maybe I was reading into it more than was intended, but Elisa's, she's like the class president, she's soccer captain, she's first chair violinist, she's a Rhodes Scholar, she's prom queen. So I guess I kind of got the impression, well, and she reacts really strongly when Al calls her a snob. And I'm wondering if if maybe she is a little self-conscious about her wealth and wants to prove that she's worth something for herself, like, on her own merit, which is why she's doing all these crazy amount of things as well. But I'm psychoanalyzing a character I didn't see very much of, but she is the sort of person that, like, she felt real to me because she's the sort of person I interacted a lot with in high school who were concerned about hitting all of those, I guess, benchmarks of success. Including maybe getting a boyfriend, I don't know, but I
3: when would she have time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> She's a really busy girl, I guess. I, I had one little thing. I feel like, and you guys can argue with me, I am not the the expert on all things contemporary. Though I do enjoy contemporary books. I felt like the middle where we start getting a lot of, of exposition, on, exposition on E. She calls her E, which I think is cute. Um, but her dad is super rich and also my dad left and there's a fine line to walk. I just I feel like there's a, a ton of, of facts that are packed into the middle, which I love that we get so much information. But I feel like it lagged a little bit in the, minute, in the middle because all of them were together right there. Did anybody else feel that way or is that just me? A little bit. I mean, yeah, I had
4: that, I I went back and forth actually on that because I thought it's nice because it's nice to get all that right up front, you know, like Mm -hmm. she's so efficient about it. But also there's something to be said first, you know, this is my editor sometimes says this to me, like, just save it. You know, you don't have to throw everything in the first chapter or just maybe a hint Mm -hmm. and then delve it into it.
3: There are some things that I feel like could be shown very easily that would fall into what we knew about the characters as soon as we see them. And what those details are would are up to the author, obviously. But like, I, I, I don't know that we need every single thing that's there. But I do like the shape of it right now. It's very good.
4: Yeah, there, there's a lot of description about, is this what you're talking about, Elise's, um, how rich she is and what a dad is yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, like that probably yeah. they didn't all need to be there, but. I mean this is I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that would get done in like the second round of edits with a with a with an editor. So
3: Yeah, they just mm-hmm. go through with the red marker and they're like, mm, "Nope, nope." <laughs> 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 <think you're> stuff,
4: <laughs> I think everything is in place. Right? Yeah. Like um, oh, I di- oh, I did have one little question. What was it? Um It's funny, I'm going to contradict myself, but I about like Ooh. leaving information out or putting it in, but I wanted I, I kind of wanted a little bit more about just a hint about why she's so dismissive of dances and the social stuff and because yeah. is is it because she's too good for it is it because she's insecure or is she you know or has she been hurt before? Just like one just a sentence to give me yeah. just ground me in her in those feelings that she's having
3: my first guess on that was that she can't because of her mom for some reason, but that she's projecting something else. Like the the dismissal of it would be like her own choice rather than whatever was going on with her family. But I would like to have it pointed out to me a little bit more rather than me trying to decide what it is and then being yeah. disappointed later. I will
0: third that. We're out of time for this part of the por- podcast. But Cameron, did you want to throw in your notes before we close?
2: Um, I mean, I feel like we've already touched on... A lot of it i will say am i missing something about kickballs do they make a metallic noise when you hit people with them
4: yeah it's the it's like that echoey like it's like a poink.
0: yeah like a...
2: i just i just feel like use of the word i feel like like maybe metaphor it could be metaphorically metallic but, then but since it sounds Edward. like a literal sentence i feel like maybe don't <laughs>
1: Cameron's advice is to add adverbs. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it made a metaphorically
1: metallic sound. <laughs> I can see that going both ways. I heard it in my head, but I can see. Yeah, I, kn- I knew you know. I was referring to, but I mean, it's not metal, I hope. Otherwise, they're playing very dangerous kickball. <laughs> and when it hits somebody's head, yeah.
4: <laughs> oh, and then, Okay, you know what? I'm just going to jump in with two very nitpicky, like, copy editing level things I don't know is that okay this is I mean it's just silly but like you actually can't apply to Harvard and Yale at the same time early decision <laughs> at least seems to have done and also the Rhodes scholarship is for after college not after high school
1: that's I had a question about that too I wrote that and I was like can you be a Rhodes, a Rhodes scholar in high school but I didn't know and I didn't feel confident enough to <laughs> comment on it
0: <laughs> all right we'll go ahead and close then to this author thank you so much for submitting we really enjoyed reading your work and Misa, thank you for coming on the show.
4: Oh, thank you for having me. I had so much fun, and i really i love this I love this piece so much, so good.
0: Best of luck with your submitting it's awesome and listeners, be sure to check out Misa's books. It's not like it's a secret, and this time will be different. Our next two guests will be recording with us at Teen Author Bootcamp. We'll do a live show with Kirsten White, New York Times bestselling author of Paranormalcy and I Darken the Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein and the Guinevere Deception, just to name a few. We'll also be recording with Marie Rutkoski, New York Times bestselling author of the Winner's Curse Trilogy. If you would like a first chapter critique from Kirsten or Marie, be sure to check out the submission guidelines on our website and get your chapter to us by March 19th. Thank you to our intern Lindsay Owens. She's amazing. She's sick this week, so be sure to be extra nice to her on social media. And if you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on Twitter at LitService or on Facebook and Instagram as at LitService Podcast. We're currently running an Instagram challenge with a first chapter critique as a prize, so check that out. Or you can email us at LitServicePodcast at gmail dot com. Please remember to rate, review, and share the podcast. It helps people to find the show. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.